The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Start! You can call me Bruce. Nolan is standing by. Hey, Wacky Bruce! Coming to you from an undisclosed location, this is the Bruce Exclusive. And here's your host, Bruce Nolan. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to another edition of the Bruce Exclusive a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce Exclusive. Welcome back. It was the tale of two halves for the Buffalo Bills as they defeated the Miami Dolphins since the last time we've talked. But it was looking weird there for a minute. The first half ended with a 3-2-3 score and the opportunity was there for the Miami Dolphins to take control of that game. They were driving with the game tied at the end of the first half, and they got the ball back at the beginning of the second half, which means they had an opportunity to double dip. But then they snapped the ball into their tight end's legs, and the rest is history. And the Buffalo Bills came out in the second half, put up a lot of points, and beat the Miami Dolphins really well. Covered the spread, in fact. But coming out of that game, it feels kind of weird. It feels a little bit the same way that it felt the first time the Bills beat the Dolphins, which was, yeah, it was a victory, but it it feels weird coming out of the game. Now, the reason it feels weird is different because Josh Allen didn't play well against the Steelers week one. And then for the second week in a row, he didn't play well against the Miami Dolphins in week two. So that's the reason why it felt weird, even though the Buffalo Bills won at the time 35 to nothing. But there's some murmurs on to interwebs about the way the Buffalo Bills played against the Miami Dolphins. You know, 53.03% of all NFL games end with a margin of victory of zero to eight points. So they're either a tie or the winning team wins by eight or less. One score. Over 50% of games are one score games. This is why it's such a big deal. 
when you see a team that's favored by 11, 12, 13 points, because that's crazy. That is insane from a Vegas odds standpoint. The final margin of victory in Rams, Texans, Super Bowl contender, one of the worst teams in football. The final score was 38 to 22, 16 points. The final margin in a second divisional game for the Bills and Dolphins was 26 to 11, which is 15 points. Now, what you're going to say to me is, Bruce, the Rams were up 38 to nothing at one point, and then they pulled their starters. And that's true. They also squeaked by the winless Lions last week, who got destroyed by the Eagles this week. We talked about this before. There is no transitive property in football. There is no team one beat team two and team two beat team three. Therefore, team one is better than team three. That's not how football works. Transitive property is not a thing. So I'm not saying all that matters is the W because you know that's not true. How and why you win are more predictive than the W itself. We've talked about this a million times. What I am saying is a 15-point victory over a divisional foe in the second divisional game of a year is a good thing. And I think if the Bills would have arrived at it qualitatively differently, you'd feel different about it. If the Bills weren't tied at halftime, if they were up by seven at halftime and they ended the game up by 15, would you feel different? If instead of scoring all the points except for three in the second half, if they scored half in the first half and half in the second half, would you feel better? Maybe is the answer. But you arrived at the same destination. You arrived at the same spot. You still beat the divisional rival. Last week, after stomping the Ravens, the Bengals were talked about as one of the best teams in the AFC. This week, they lost to the Jets. Two weeks ago, after stomping the Chargers, the Ravens were talked about as one of the best teams in the AFC before then going on to lose to the Bengals, who then went on to lose to the Jets. Getting a 15-point W against a divisional rival in the second divisional game of the year against that team with your quarterback playing well is a good thing. We are going to go into the quarterback stew, the QB stew that has been updated for eight weeks of data after the commercial break. But Josh Allen has played well this year. He obviously had the beginning of the year with two games that didn't play well, but he's played well this year. 2020 was not a fluke. Josh Allen was not a product of Brian Dable. Josh Allen was not a product of some, gosh, I heard some people say he had an elite offensive line, which is just insane. Josh Allen is not the product of Stephon Diggs. So getting another data point when it comes to sample size, beating a divisional rival, I'll take it. Well, Bruce, then maybe the media should stop crowning everybody every week. Maybe they shouldn't have crowned the Ravens after they beat the Chargers. Maybe they shouldn't have crowned the Bengals after they beat the Ravens. Well, maybe you should stop listening to them. 
Football season is supposed to be about the fans going on a ride, not the fans being taken for a ride. There's a difference. It's supposed to be you going on a journey. And it's got ups and downs, but you shouldn't be drug along by the narratives. People do that. People overreact because you continue to consume them. That's the reason why. If they stopped doing it, if you stopped clicking, if you stopped listening, they'd stop doing it. They're responding to you. So you can say, well, maybe they, they should stop doing those things. Well, maybe we should stop listening. The people who live on small sample sizes and want to go left to right to left to right to up and down to everybody's the best person or the worst person after one game because we don't care about sample size and all we care about is the last game and they just want to yell louder and louder and louder to get your attention. Those people don't want you to have perspective because with perspective comes wisdom. And if you have wisdom, you'll stop listening. They don't want you to do those things. They don't want you to have perspective. They don't want you to care about things being trends. They don't want you to care about sample size. They don't want you to be patient. Because none of those things get them what they want. So, if they don't want you to have it, that tells me we should get it. If they don't want you to have patience, it's even more important that we have it. If they don't want you to have perspective, it's even more important that we have it. If they don't want you to be wise, then it's even more important that we are wise. The natural reaction is going to be to overreact. To a win, to a loss, to the Titans' loss, to the first half against the Miami Dolphins, to the Bills not making a move at the trade deadline. The natural reaction is going to be to overreact. The natural reaction is going to be able to say the hotter take, the more explosive terminology, things like best and worst and failure and success. It's just not quite that black and white and not quite that urgent. This is why we had to have the discussion about three games being a trend. Because if three games is a trend and you know it, or whatever your number is. I'm not saying it's got to be three games. But if you care about sample size, then you won't freak out. And if you don't freak out, you'll stop consuming the people who do freak out. None of that is in my notes, just so you know. <laughs> None of that's in my notes. I just went off on a tangent. I don't know if maybe I just had a stressful day or what it is. But none of that is in my notes. But here's something that is in my notes that was a significant narrative that comes out of the Buffalo Bills victory over the Miami Dolphins, and that is play calling. Now, you've heard me talk about this before. I think play calling is something people criticize just in this weird ether. Play calling is almost an abstract to them. I can't really explain why I didn't like the play calling aside from it didn't work. It's Matthew McConaughey from The Wolf of Wall Street saying it's fugazi, fugazi, fairy dust. It's just this weird thing out in the ether. And I don't really like doing that unless I have something specific I want to talk about in regards to play calling. After week one, I did have a specific criticism about the play calling in that game. And I do have a specific criticism about the play calling this game. Lest you think 
I spend my entire life defending Brian Dable and think he's the greatest person in the world who cannot possibly do anything wrong. But before I get into the criticism, this is the thing that I think is interesting about offensive coordinator criticism. When Josh Allen has a below average game, nobody says he stinks as a quarterback. When Brian Dable has a game where there are some head scratching calls or we think he gets a little too cute or something like that, whatever it is that your criticism is, then he's a bad offensive coordinator who's clearly being propped up by talent. We would never, ever hold Josh Allen to the standard of perfection that we hold Brian Dable to. Ever. It's ridiculous. Way back in the Nick and Nolan show days, we did a show that was actually titled Josh Allen was bad and that's okay. It's just a data point. It's not a trend. It doesn't mean he's a bad quarterback. He was just bad that game. But whenever there's a question of, about offensive play calling or there's some legitimate criticism to go around about that, then all of a sudden, Brian Dable's a bad offensive coordinator. But if Josh Allen has a bad game, still a top five quarterback, it's fine. Or it's somebody else's fault, like Brian Dable. The standard that we hold Brian Dable to is unlike anything I've ever seen, especially when you consider it next to the level of slack we give to Josh Allen. It's unbelievable to me. So yes, I am going to bring up specific things I don't like about some of the play calling, specifically in this game. And when I do, I will say, yes, these things are true. It is a data point. Brian Dable's still a good offensive coordinator, and I'm still glad we have him. So, now that I've established the boundaries, and that this data point is going to remain just that, a data point, let's talk about that. Play calling. This game was called like Raekwon Davis was still out. The Buffalo Bills were able to have success running the ball against the Miami Dolphins in the first game. Devin Singletary, of course, famously broke the long second down run for the touchdown against the Miami Dolphins in week two. But the Miami Dolphins had Raekwon Davis out. Raekwon Davis is someone I openly considered for my top three defensive tackles in the AFC East when I was doing a guest spot on a different show this past summer. But run defending defensive tackles don't get a lot of publicity. We know this from the Star Latule saga. But the game was called like he was still hurt. Like it was the same Miami Dolphins that you saw week two. But it's not. The Bills were not good on first down. They weren't good on first down at all. And they need to be better on first down. Well, Bruce they're dropping a lot of people into coverage. They are. And they're showing you light boxes and the Bills are running a lot of RPOs on early downs. And when you see light boxes on RPOs, you're supposed to hand it off. But the Bills can't consistently get a run game against six-man boxes. And that's not good. The offensive line isn't good enough to be able to get consistent push even against good run looks. So, don't call as many RPOs early on. Use the short pass to replicate the run against the flood that you're getting of defenders. 
Because what they're doing is they're dropping seven and eight into coverage on early downs and saying, we don't think your first down runs are going to put you in favorable second downs. And we don't think your favorable second downs are going to put you into favorable third downs. We don't think you can run, run and get 10 yards. And they're right. They're right. The Bills can't run, run and get 10 yards most of the time. But what they started to do was they started to use Cole Beasley as an extension of the run game in the short passing game. And they started to call wide receiver screens and things like that to be able to deal with that. Early on in 2018, the narrative on Josh Allen was that Allen couldn't beat man pressure. Cover zero, cover one, pressure looks. So you went out and you got Beasley and Brown, people who could separate in the short area. Then the next season, you went out and got Stephon Diggs. Then when the Miami Dolphins throw that at you on third down after your first and second down runs were ineffective, somehow now we don't have an answer. You had the tools. It was a throwback defensive game plan from the Miami Dolphins. They don't have the necessary tools up front and the necessary running game to be able to put us in danger on early downs. So on early downs, we're going to leave a lot of men in coverage and on third down, we're bringing the pressure. RPOs on early downs are really, really useful if both answers have a reasonable possibility of being right. If both the run and the pass can lead you to success on that play, then RPOs on early downs are awesome. But if only one of those options can actually consistently lead you to success, then the short passing game on first down might be better. Maybe confining the run game to only short yardage, goal line situations, and change-ups. Because the Bills aren't good enough on first down. And they're running a lot of the RPOs on first down. So I'd like to see short passing game on first down. That's what I'd like to see. Because the current running game is not getting us there. So I'd love to see more short passing game on first down to get into second and manageable, where now all of a sudden it's a little bit more open. Now, if you want to run the RPOs on second down, you're in a more advantageous spot to do it because now it's second and four instead of second and seven. The other thing is quarterback runs on first down. You're not getting the numbers in the run game. So quarterback runs on first down would allow you to get into second and manageables. The Bills got to be better on first down. So that's a criticism that I have with the play calling specifically against the Miami Dolphins. But it's also time to accept that Josh Allen has a role in what plays get run on the field. I understand. I already mentioned that if you get light boxes, the quarterbacks are trained to take that. They're trained to take those. It's a numbers game. If you've got the right amount in the box, go ahead and run that ball. But it's not working. So check out on first down. Play calling has three components, not one. It's not Brian Dable. It's Sean McDermott meeting with the offensive staff and Brian Dable calling the plays and Josh Allen on the field with checks and audibles. It's three parts. 
There are three parts to play calling, not one. When we say play calling, we immediately go to Brian Dable. And he is, well, from a plurality pie standpoint, the biggest piece of it. But he's not the only piece. And we need to recognize that because that's part of this. My last thing on play calling. If you want to run the ball more efficiently, run it in more efficient scenarios out of more efficient personnel groupings. There are few things that annoy me quite like taking a team that's not overly good at running the ball and doesn't have an excess amount of talented offensive linemen when it comes to run blocking. Taking that team going to 13 personnel or 12 personnel or 21 personnel and pulling everybody in tight and taking your designated short yardage back. You can't see me, I'm doing air quotes. But your short yardage back and slamming him into 11 defenders. It's incredibly inefficient. I went off on a tangent about how Zach Moss consistently gets thrown against terrible, terrible box counts. And if your offensive blockers are better than theirs, sure, why not? Let's do it. But that's rarely the case. The team who uses the heavy formations the most, teams like Cleveland, Baltimore, they actually prefer to pass out of heavy. The reason they're going there is because they're good blockers, and that's great, but they like passing out of heavy formations because they want your slower, heavier defenders on the field. That's their way of getting the matchups that they want. So all of these things I have a problem with. I'm never going to love a first and 10 run for three yards. I'm never going to love a second and long run. And I'm never going to love third and two lining up in heavy personnel groupings in tight nub formations and slamming your designated short yardage back with a fullback right into 11 defenders. It's not 1972 anymore. So I'm never going to love that stuff. So if I have a problem with that stuff just in general, then I can't be a hypocrite and say that when Brian Dable does it now, I love it. Because that would make me a hypocrite. So those are my play calling discussions. But there's an offensive line discussion to be had here as well. Because it makes every play call look worse. A good quarterback can make the offensive coordinator right when they're actually wrong. And a good offensive line can help a good play call be a great play call, but can also take a perfectly reasonable play call and turn it into garbage. Interior offensive line was a need last year. We talked about this before the draft. And it's still a need this year. Coming into the year, the narrative was, well, the preferred offensive line played zero snaps together. And I understand that narrative. But there is no play call for my guard play leaves something to be desired. There's no play call for that. There's nothing you can call where the guards aren't going to be asked to do something. That's not possible. You can't hide bad guards. Well, we need to ask them to do different things. What? What do you want me to ask them to do? Gap run? Zone run? Duo? Inside zone? What do you want me to ask them to do? If they're below average, they're below average. And no matter what you ask them to do, they're going to be below average at that thing. No matter what you want to do, interior offensive line play that is less than desirable will hamstring it. That's what's going to happen. 
Last narrative before we take a break. Corey Bohorkas and Matt Hawk. Matt Hawk's not a good punter. This is not shocking. No one should be shocked by this. Pat Moran, who hosts the Talking Buffalo podcast, tweeted out, among punters with at least 20 punts, Matt Hawk is dead last in the AFC in both yards per punt and net yards per punt. When the Bills signed Matt Hawk this offseason, I tweeted out, I don't really love it. He's not a good punter. Miami was happy he was gone. All the Miami fans were like, yeah, he's not a good punter. And if you rushed to your computer to defend a signing of a punter you don't know and yell at Bruce for not liking the signing, I'm not going to say I told you so. But he's not a good punter. Also, I don't think it matters. So, yes, I don't think he's a good punter. No, I don't think it matters. Because I don't think they're going to do anything about it. Because they like him. They signed him to a multi-year contract. He's a good holder, which Corey Bohorkas was not. I think they're just willing to accept the downgrade at punter. But he's still not a good punter. So we're just going to accept that these two things are true. He is simultaneously not a good punter. And also, the team's probably not going to do anything about it. So this will probably be the last time I talk about it for a really long time. Because there's really no point. I might dabble on it this offseason like, hey, the Bills could use an upgraded punter. But they're not going to do anything about it. I've been yelling about CB2 for years and the Bills don't do anything about it. Why would this be any different? We're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back. We've got Plurality Pie and we've got QB Stew. That's right, a smorgasbord. Stick with me. We'll be right back. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Welcome back, everybody, and thank you for joining me for this edition of the Bruce Exclusive, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram, at Bruce Exclusive. Welcome back. Well, that was a very eclectic opening segment of this podcast. We talked about people who yell for attention and not to overreact. We talked about play calling, standards that we hold people to, punters, offensive line. But we have plurality pie to get to and we're going to start right at the top cole beasley 28 percent. yes cole beasley in my opinion was the largest reason why the buffalo bills won the game on sunday the ability of josh allen to utilize 
the short area separation ability of Cole Beasley and get the ball to him for consistent six, seven yard gains is the answer to one of the things we were talking about earlier in the podcast. If teams want to defend you that way, that's fine. Make them pay for it. Chip away at them. Frustrate them. Make them bring that other safety down or make them suffer the consequences for it. I don't think the Bills are able to make the adjustments on offense without a player like Cole Beasley. There was some discussion before the trade deadline as to whether or not Cole Beasley was going to be around. And I, of course, said on social media that not only do I think Cole Beasley should be around, throw him an extension. Not a long extension. Tack a couple years on. Lower the cap hit next year. We got to give Tremaine Edmonds some money probably. I'm all the way in because traits give you options. And Cole Beasley has unique traits that give the offense options. And if you don't have options, you don't have answers. We talk about making adjustments. We talk about wanting Brian Dable to make adjustments. If you don't have players who have traits, that doesn't give you options. And if you don't have options, you don't have answers. So Cole Beasley's traits give you options, which give you answers. Stop trying to run people out the door who are valuable to the offense. Cole Beasley is valuable to the offense. Ed Oliver, 15%. I cannot think of a player whose box score is more different than their on-field play this year than Ed Oliver. Ed Oliver played really, really well on Sunday. Really well. Two tackles. Zero sacks for the year. Somebody at the end of this year, you mark my word, somebody will say, Ed Oliver had one sack or Ed Oliver had two sacks or whatever it is he ends up with. That's what they will use to describe his impact. Ed Oliver has been good this year. The question of whether or not the Bills should pick up his fifth-year option, I think it's completely answered. Pick up the option. Let him continue to develop. He's a good player. Josh Allen, 14%. Played well. We're going to go through QB Stew in a little bit. Matt Milano, 11%. Always good to see him out there healthy. Always good to see him out there healthy. The idea that the Buffalo Bills defense is a linebacker-centric defense shows up when Milano and Edmonds are healthy. That's when you start to see what that means. Tremaine Edmonds, 9%. Continues to play well. This is the best Tremaine Edmonds we've ever seen. Tyler Bass, 7%. That's right, the kicker. Strolls out there for a 57-yard field goal like it's nothing. Do you remember when 57-yard field goals were like insane? Sean McDermott's like, no, no, that's fine. We got him. Very important kick to go up two scores late in the game. Nailed it. Tyler Bass is really good. And the thing that's great about having a kicker is that you know they're always good until they're not. Just one of these days, they just stop being good and that's it. A lot of times it's an injury. That's the way it was with Hauschka. But you can pretty much count on them all the way up until you can't anymore. And that's one of the reasons why I think Matt Hawk's going to stick around. Because they have something going that they like. Reed Ferguson snaps to Matt Hawk, kicked by Tyler Bass, and they don't want to disturb it. Even if Hawk's a bad punter, which he is. He isn't a good NFL punter. But I don't think it matters because of what you're seeing from Tyler Bass. Other, 16%. So Beasley, 28%. 
Ed Oliver, 15. Josh Allen, 14. Matt Milano, 11. Tremaine Emmons, 9. Tyler Bass, 7. Other, 16. We got an email to go through. Evan sent in his Jacksonville Jaguars almighty take. I hope I'm not too late, but I'm going to keep this one short and sweet. Buffalo scores touchdowns in all three phases. Offense, defense, special teams. Third shutout of the season, 45 to nothing. The lowlights are Dable continuing to call runs on second and long and another bobble by McKenzie before he totally redeems himself, returning a kick and or a punt for six. The Bills' scheduled opponents continue to be Schrodinger's cat in that before the Bills play them, they could be good, but after the Bills win, they're garbage. Listen, just ignore it. This team is good, if not great. Good teams beat bad teams, great teams decimate bad teams, and Josh Allen is conductor for a high-speed express bound for L.A. Evan chimes in with his take of the week. Jesse, I got your email. It's a research project. I'm not entirely sure I'm going to be able to get to it anytime soon, but I will look into it. So, Jesse, I know you're listening. I did get your email. It requires a little bit more research than I had time to do this week, especially with the stew. And let's get to the stew. So, after week four, Josh Allen was 19th in QB stew. Quick refresher, QB stew is a composite that I curated that combines QBR, average net yards per attempt, passer rating, EPA per play, DVOA, PFF grade, and CPOE into a composite and then ranks where each person falls on that composite. Josh Allen has moved up to eighth in the NFL from 19th after the first four weeks. Josh Allen is seventh in QBR. He is ninth in passer rating. He is eighth in NEA. He is fourth in EPA per play. He is ninth in DVOA. He is 10th in PFF grade, and he is 13th in CPOE. Climbing up the ladder. Here are the rankings. Number one, Russell Wilson. Number two, Kyler Murray. Number three, Matt Stafford. Number four, Tom Brady. Then Dak Prescott, Derek Carr, Aaron Rodgers. Then Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, Kirk Cousins, Joe Burrow, Jameis Winston, Ryan Tannehill, Justin Herbert, who, by the way, just in case you were wondering, has actually not been playing well over the last couple of weeks. Just, I feel like sometimes the West Coast teams, we don't catch up to the narratives quite as fast. Justin Herbert played really well at the beginning of the season. Last couple of weeks, hasn't been playing well. Teddy Bridgewater, Mac Jones, Matt Ryan, Patrick Mahomes is 18th in quarterback stew. That tracks. He hasn't been playing well. He's had some exceptionally bad luck as well, but he's also not playing well. There's multiple throws a game where you go, ah, Patrick, what are you doing? He hasn't been playing well. He's right next to Carson Wentz, who's right behind him. Then Baker Mayfield, Jalen Hurts, Jimmy Garoppolo, Daniel Jones, Jacoby Brissett, Jared Goff, Taylor Heineke, Ben Roethlisberger, Sam Darnold, Davis Mills, Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, Justin Fields. Those are the top 32 quarterbacks. I did Brissett instead of Tua. Eventually, Tua will have enough sample size. I think the next time we do Stu, we'll do Tua Tungavaloa. But Josh Allen, moving on up in the QB Stu. Go to my Twitter, at Bruce Exclusive. You can see the entire list. You can see all of the metrics for all the quarterbacks. And we did it. That's our 
a little less than half cup stew, I guess is what we call it. Thank you for sticking around. Make sure to join Nate Geary and I live Friday night on the Buffalo Rumblings YouTube channel at nine o'clock Eastern time for Food for Thought. And we'll chat with you then. It'll be a good time. It'll be delicious even. And if you don't, then I guess all I gotta say is, that's the way the cookie crumbles. I'm Bruce Nolan, Buffalo Rumblings.